Welcome to this episode of Conversations with Coach Coy, Change, Restore, Reclaim. I am super excited because this week, April 11 through 17, is Black Maternal Health Week. And our very, very, very special guest is Miss Melanie Calhoun. I'm going to ask Melanie to introduce herself and let's get into a great discussion on this very critical, important topic. Hello, Melanie. Hello. Hi, hi, hi. How are you doing? Oh, I'm so happy to see you. <laughs> yeah, good to see you too. So I'm Melanie Calhoun and I am so happy, happy, happy to be here. Um, a little bit about me is that I um, work as a consultant in the diversity, equity and inclusion space um, professionally. I have been a marketing executive, MBA kind of path, corporate America and got out of corporate America to pursue um, education around bias and stigma. So I left corporate America to research uh, racism. And um, from there, I started consulting with organizations and helping them to create more inclusive spaces because in my path through corporate America, I experienced some very um, exclusive spaces, right? People that excluded, uh, particularly black women or, or, or people of color. And um, in 2016, I became a mother. And so in that path to motherhood, I developed a strong interest in advocacy, uh, particularly around black moms, because we are dying seven times more in childbirth than white women in this country. Some states, I live in Georgia. Georgia is, Georgia and Louisiana switch off every couple of years of who's the 49th and who's the 50th state for maternal mortality. Um, and black women are so much more likely to die during childbirth through the first year of birth. Um, and it's just something that as a mother entering motherhood, it, it really forced me to uh, figure out what my options were. And as a researcher, of course, because I am a strong proponent of data-driven data research, I started looking at my options. And so in 2021, I now have two children. I had my first child in the hospital with the OB group. I had my second child at a birth center. And we can talk a little bit about what that is um, in 2018 with a group of midwives. And in 2021, I am now the president of the board of directors at the Atlanta Birth Center. So I had my baby at the birth center in 2018. I joined the board uh, at the end of 2018, early 2019, and then this year was elected the chair. Wow. Well, that's a lot. I've known her for many, many, many years, and this is really exciting to hear. Because some of this I didn't know. Um, so I'm really just shocked, though, at that seven times more likely to pass away during the first at, during childbirth or within the first year of the child's birth. That actually really makes me sad to hear that. That's a lot. That's a big number. That is a huge number. It is. And there's lots of, of reasons why black women are more likely to die in childbirth. And a lot mm -hmm. of the, the number one reason is racism. 
-hmm. So mm -hmm. after studying racism and then entering a medicalized system to deliver my child, I was very selective. I was like, I want to make sure that I deliver my baby with a black OBGYN. And I had a black OBGYN and she was phenomenal. And then I delivered in a hospital where not, it wasn't necessarily the physician, it was the nurses or the people at the hospital trying to uh, intervene and offer services that were maybe even unnecessary. I was offered unnecessary interventions. Um, and so one of the things that I found through research is that when there are interventions, you increase your risk. Many interventions are necessary, many are not. So if you look at this country from a developed world, uh, you know, country standpoint, we have the worst um, maternal outcomes than any developed country. Um, there's lots of reasons why. One of them is racism, right? Um, the other thing is, too, there are there are countries where, um, you know, birth is treated as if it's like a natural part of life. Women have babies. So that's not, that doesn't mean that you are so much so a patient, right? You're not necessarily getting medical care. It's just something that happens normally and naturally with your body. So that's more of like the midwifery model of care. They're not medical doctors, they're nurses who will help deliver a healthy baby if you're low risk. Um, our country, like when I was initially found, when I found out I was pregnant, it was like, oh, how exciting. And then people who, Oh girl, you gonna schedule your C-section? And it was just like, for what? You know, like, so you, yeah, it's cause I like to, I wanna know when my baby's gonna be born. Like I wanna be able to plan for it. And it's like, it's just this, this, it's almost like a, a culture of, you would rather me have like invasive abdominal surgery <laughs> and, and as if that's the natural way to do it. And so when I think about as I explored my options and I started talking with people about their birth experiences, I found out there was a lot of horror stories. There's a lot of near misses, a lot of people who had a lot of birth trauma stories, but nobody talks about them. And, but the expectation is, okay, fine. If you're not going to do that, well then, you know, you're going to get your epidural, like get all the drugs. And it's just, it's unfortunate that we are such a medicalized, is that even a word? We are in a society where everything is looked at from like an intervention and we have to control these factors. Um, you give, you like in, in Atlanta, we have a huge hospital that does 20,000 births a year or something crazy like that. And it's like this huge, beautiful hospital with, you know, beautiful everything. And it's a baby factory, right? in and out, in and out, babies all day, but they do high risk babies, like high risk moms. And there are very, there's a place that's like, if if you are having twins or you're having um, like other forms of multiples, or if you have high risk pregnancies, you're gonna deliver in a place that's very medical, like very hospital, right? Um, but if I'm just like a regular low risk mom in uneventful pregnancy, everything is going perfectly fine. The, the, I think the culture of where we are is like, but you still need a surgeon to deliver your baby. And it's like, 
it's just the accepted OB. Okay. I go to the doctor. Okay. Now I'm pregnant. Now I go to the OB and they're going to deliver my baby. Um, and as I started doing research, I was like, huh? So black women in particular started the midwifery model of care. And you think about, you know, when we were delivering our babies as black women, you know, hundreds of years ago in this country, right? We didn't have the luxuries of medicine to support us. So we found ways to work with the mother from a community standpoint, from a standpoint of, you know, like making sure you're eating right, doing right things. And then also when you're in the delivery process, like you have black midwives, like from that were community raised and taught, right? It's like, you've got the one grandma who delivers the babies and then she's teaching the, you know, the granddaughter and she's in there now delivering the babies of the aunt, you know? So there are, so and those, those skills were passed down. You add the racism element we now have all of these regulations to deliver babies as, as midwives that the people who have just been doing it for 40 years will now have to go to school and get a nursing degree, a bachelor's in nursing. And it's like, huh? So that's like a, a limitation. It's like, you've got people who've been doing this for centuries and now they're like iced out because hospitals only want these certain regulations. And so now you have to go to midwifery school, which is basically getting a bachelor's in nursing and then getting additional training and all these other things. It's like, I've been doing this for 40 years. So that's kind of like uh, a, the, the long version of, there are options that are for women who are delivering babies that have been forgotten or pushed to the side or seen not as safe because safety is in a controlled environment such as a hospital with a surgeon in case something happens. Um, and so I'm really excited to share like, yes, it's necessary. Um, I was I was part of a panel the other day and it was like, you had really high risk moms who were, um, it was necessary for them to get high risk treatment. Um, but then there's people who don't have high risks. And so it's like, why would you go and, and, and go to the surgeon? It's like, you really don't need uh, a surgeon if you really need a nutritionist, right? Mm. You really don't need a surgeon if you really need a you know, family practitioner, right? You go to the doctor when you're sick. It's like, okay, a family medicine, an internist. Like there's just, you don't have to go to the far extreme for something that's natural. And I think childhood and, and pregnancy is treated as if it's something that's extreme when it should be treated as something that's natural. That is a lot in this is Sorry. great. No, no, this is, I mean, a lot as in, wow. Uh, one thing that you did talk about is invasive care. You, because you're a researcher and you know, you studied up what can you share with listeners to help them if they're thinking about getting pregnant, if they know someone pregnant, if they are pregnant, if they have concerns, how, how would you advise them to research for themselves to determine, are you a low risk? Do you need invasive care? Do you not? I think one of the, th the one of the best tools around childbirth 
that are often not utilized um, are, you You mean, most people, you get a second opinion, right? So like if you're high risk, first of all, as black women, automatically we would probably be considered as high risk just because of, you know, lots of reasons. Could be pre higher risks of preeclampsia, um, there's things that are related to like, you know, BMI going into pregnancy, age of pregnancy. Um, and when you think about being told you're high risk, like, what does that mean? Every case is individual, but it's also good to have a, have a relationship with a clinician that truly communicates with you appropriately. So... I would probably venture to say that it's not so much that you can't believe your physician or clinician, it's that you have to have a clear understanding of the language they're using and what they're saying. And oftentimes you have options that you just don't know about because the doctor in their mind may be making a decision on how they wanna provide care for you and not tell you your options because they know with their training and their history and all of these things that this is what the next step logically should be. But because we've been trained in a very medical, strongly rooted in, you know, who were the first uh, OB uh, researchers? They were researching on unmedicated, no anesthesia on enslaved uh, black people in our country. So that's how, hmm. new, that's how OB started, right? Like you are working on enslaved uh, Blacks in, you have this trauma that happens to Black women. I'm, I'm kind of jumping all over the place. No, you're really oh, giving us great information. It's like so much stuff. So if you have somebody who tells you you're, you're high risk, what does that mean? And you will most likely end up having to see specialists. So um, there are, OBs who then would then work with you that are specialized in in pregnancies. You may end up having to get more ultrasound. You may end up having to go to um, a perinatologist, which is you know like a physician who is an OB who has then gotten additional training to deal with high risk issues. Um, so you might you may, like I said you may need additional ultrasounds. Um, the main thing is it's so much information you don't know how to process it especially if you're a first-time mom or something like that so what i recommend is there's a whole community of birth workers who are knowledgeable and who can support you and even explaining things yes your doctor should but you know you might be in a doctor and they're like 15 minutes okay thanks they come in they tell you what's going on and they want you to do it you, you do it they leave and so what do you think about when you're selecting somebody to deliver your baby, it could mean that you wanna make sure that you're seen, you're heard, they give you time. Um, midwives are also um, you know, clinically certified to deliver babies inside the hospital, right? Like you don't necessarily need the surgeon unless something, unless you need a surgical intervention. So midwives deliver in hospitals um, and at home and at birth centers. So I say get a second opinion, but there are other, like I said, other birth workers can help you. I think that a doula saves my first pregnancy. And what is a doula? 
A doula is a birth worker, someone who is a support person for the mom. They're not necessarily a medical professional. They may help you. There's different types of doulas. So I had a doula for a prenatal education. The same doula was at my delivery, helping me with techniques on getting through the labor. And she was a support person in the postpartum period. So there's a postpartum doula role. So basically you've got women who professionally take care of other women while they're through pregnancy all the way up to and after delivery. And that goes to this community feel. Like back in the day, you had it built in with family. It was like, okay, you're having a, you're having a baby. So auntie comes into town for months and then this person comes in town and they, take care of you and you know don't there's traditions and different cultures it's like you just had a baby you don't get out of the bed for two you know for two months and you just you know they come in there they bring you everything you need they feed you they bring you the baby the feed and then they take the baby give you some time to sleep so that your body can heal and so these doulas are support people and there's ways there's they're they're available so i found a doula through doula match or there's like black doula collective there's like opportunities to find people who do birth work and the doula that i hired for my son's pregnancy maxwell my son who's now five was her 918th baby wow 918 yeah <laughs> 918 for her and she's in the thousands now but her birth work has been her passion and has, she's done it for 40 years. So this is like, she's like the, her name is um, Sam Sara Morgan and she's in Oakland, California. And she's like the Nana doula. She like teaches, she trains other doulas to be these birth support people. And she not only did cover childbirth education and birth planning and options, it's like, what are my birth preferences? If I end up in a C-section, which is, you know, still likely, it's still, uh, it, you know, it's still possible, maybe not likely, but it's still possible. Like, what are your options in childbirth? Like, what are they? Um, do you have to get an intervention? Like, do you want an epidural? Like, what are the things that you want? She'll tell you, here are all of the options and here's the risks associated with each of the options. And that's what, and then translating it into, this is what it means. So when she did childbirth education with me, I learned some things about some of the interventions. Like, did you know that after your baby is born, they're going to put erythromycin in your child's eyes? They do that at the hospital. Every baby gets, you know, you see the pictures and you see like shiny face, baby eyes are all shiny. They put antibiotics in your baby's eyes as soon as they're born. Did you know the reason why they do that is because they don't know whether or not you have a STD. And so if you have not been in prenatal care, and you have a, an, an, an STD that the hospital doesn't know about, you could deliver your baby and your baby could then end up blind because untreated STDs during delivery could pass to the eye of the baby and then baby could end up blind. So as a precaution, what the hospital has done is every baby that's born gets erythromycin in their eyes. And I'm going in there like, okay, but I don't have an STD. I know I don't, you know, like I know I don't. <laughs> and I'm confident in that. And don't do that to my baby. You know, like we don't, that's, it's unnecessary. And so it's like, you think about how like, well, from a, a great example. 
Yeah, from a liability perspective. So when you are baby is born in the hospital, they give you allosteroicin in their eyes, they give you a vitamin K shot, and they give you hepatitis B vaccine in the hospital. Those are standard. And if you want something outside of that, most people don't even know you can tell them no, right? And so my doula was going through like, here's the birth options. If you end up in a C-section, here's here are the things that they can do. If you are having pain in, in delivery, here are the options. If you end up getting Pitocin, which is a medicine that you is used to like increase traction and contractions and pass, you know, that thing to, you know, if your if your labor is slow, Pitocin is something that's going to speed up your labor and, and contract your stomach. But did you know that when you get Pitocin, there's a possibility that that could have an effect on the heart rate of your baby. So if you, but the, the good news is, is that Pitocin will help speed up your contractions, but your contractions may be harder on your body because they're artificial. So it's like, you just have to know, like it's necessary in some cases and it should be used when it's supposed to be used, but there's so many things that are used that are not necessarily needed. So every time there's an intervention, every time they do something, there's a risk associated with it. And if you have a lot of interventions, you're at an increased risk. So the next thing you know, they break your water for you. I'm getting very detailed. This is, this is, but this is what we need to hear because these are j just like everything you're sharing. I love the detail and I'm sure the listeners do too, because oh, no. it's like, what <laughs> they do that? Is that what they that's that. for? You can they ask for that. There's yes. just so much that this is why this conversation by the way, listeners, I've been waiting for this for a couple of months, so we both were really excited because we knew this was good information. But this is why this is so important of a topic to discuss because I people don't know that, you know, those small details. And then as you're, you're speaking, you're saying, the doula even, you're giving us a little tip of what she said. There was so much more about what you learned about this is why. So no, everything you're saying, we need to hear it. So please continue. Yeah. Okay, I don't feel bad. So when you think of when you're going through the process, they are gonna tell you, here are the things and this is why we do them and here's the risks. But they don't actually tell you like, okay, make it plain for me. Cause the hospital is, that's the protocol. That's that's what they do to, to prevent, you know, blindness and you tell me my baby could be blind. Yes, but what they don't tell you is that that's if you have a, an, an unknown STD and you show up at the hospital and they don't know who you are, you just show up to deliver your baby. So they wanna be on the safe side, but they give it to all babies. Just like hepatitis B as a vaccine. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I used to sell pediatric vaccines, right? One of the things that they do in the hospital is they give you your first shot of hepatitis B. And what I did when I sold pediatric hepatitis B, it was, finding out that it's optional in the hospital. You don't have to do it at birth, but you need three shots for hep B. And it's like, yes, I want my child to be protected against something that's preventable, but does it have to be day one of the hospital? And it's like, you know what? It doesn't because my child is actually not at risk for hep B because hep B is transmitted the same way HIV is transmitted. So unless my daughter or my son at day one of birth will have intravenous drug use or unprotected sex with, like that's how hepatitis B is transferred. So I understand going to school, it's like, okay, I might have an accident at school and there might, you know, like I understand that. So when I'm my child is school age, I understand the need, 
but at day one of birth, is it necessary? So when you start thinking about what's necessary and what is actually done, there's a lot of things that are done that are not necessary, particularly to moms who are otherwise healthy going to deliver a baby. So, you know, there are limitations of certain, like if you're, if you then get into high risk, like, so if you're a low risk pregnancy, but then you develop gesta uh, gestational diabetes or like you, you just develop some complications, you're no longer low risk. So then you need the specialists and you need the medicines that they, that they tell you, like you need the support. It's the conveniences of when you're low risk, it's getting interventions that then affect the outcomes that are not necessary, where we see the biggest concerns. Like induction is an issue in childbirth, where an induction is, you know, you are not spontaneously going into labor, right? So they have to do something to start your, your labor. Um, inducing labor is often necessary, particularly if you have been pregnant for too long. So after 40 weeks, that's the typical time period of a, of a pregnancy is 40 weeks. Um, you know, you get into 41 weeks, they're going to induce you. They do not want you going past 42 weeks because the research would show is that you have a higher likelihood that your child will be stillborn or something will happen, like your child will not make it if you go too long. Um, so there's interventions of, like if you have twins, 37 weeks is considered full term. And so they want to make sure that if, if something is wrong and they want to get your baby out as fast as they can, they're going to induce you. Like you might have an issue with your blood pressure. That's something that happens a lot with black women. Blood pressure issues in pregnancy is called preeclampsia. You may have that. And then for them, they're thinking, okay, well, we need to get the baby out as fast as we can, meaning you know, let's do something to, because we can't, this, there are other risks of continuing and doing nothing. So they'll um, induce your labor. Sometimes it's necessary, but like, for example, in my pregnancy, they offered me an induction out of convenience. Like I was 38 weeks. Oh, let's get this baby out of there. You know, we're going to, we're going to strip your membranes. And I'm like, okay, what's that? You know, you're going to, yeah, let's schedule. We're, we're going to strip your membranes. Let's schedule that, you know? And I'm like, well, is that necessary? Like, what's the point? Yeah, let's get this baby out of here. I'm like, well, 38 weeks. I'm not over my time period. My pregnancy has been completely perfect and uneventful. And then when I talked to my doula, she's like, she just offered you an induction. Like she just tried to induce your labor. Mm. And I'm like, but why? And then my son was born on his due date. Like I didn't, I not only did I not need induction, but my baby wasn't even late. He was on time, like 12 a.m. on his birthday, like 12.30 a.m. on his due date. Oh, wow. And so thinking about if I would have just not been out, if I didn't have my doula, I'm like, she told me she wanted to strip my membranes. And she was like, like she's, she's doing it from an advocacy for me. Like, I know all of the things that they're gonna offer you. I know the right questions so that you can ask them if it's necessary, because a lot of times they'll just do stuff because it's, you know, because it's convenient. Let's get, I know you're probably tired of being pregnant. Your baby is baked. They'll say, your baby's full time. We can go ahead and get the baby out. But if you offer me an induction and you're poking around and so there's a mistake that you make, you accidentally break my water. Well, my baby's totally not even ready to come. 
So you accidentally break my water. I will be in a C-section that day. That's just the reality of it. Like the baby has to then come out. The baby was not physically ready to come out naturally, but you were in there stripping my membranes. You broke my water, maybe intentionally, maybe not intentionally. And the next thing you know, I'm being cut open on the table. Being cut open on the table and getting major surgery has risks, anesthesia, da 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 Risks of blood clots, risks of, you know, um, you know, internal bleeding and all these things that happen after major surgery. So I have two people in my life who died in complications from cesareans. Oh. You know, one of them is my classmate's wife, who I think today is the five year anniversary of her death. Um, she went in for a, a C-section and um, so check out for Kira for moms. Can you Charles spell that for us, please? Um, the, let me see. It's the number four. Kira, K-Y-R-A. The number four. And then, okay. So the number four, K-I-R-A, the number four moms. For Kira for moms. And so there's a, it's the, 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 the man who lost his wife has spent the last five years since she died advocating for um, not only his wife that passed away, but for moms who are dying in childbirth. So it's unfortunate that this happens. It shouldn't happen. Like his wife should be here. She was in her thirties, healthy, in shape, you know, but she's in the hospital in a C-section and she's like, something doesn't feel right. And the doctors, they don't even come check. They, seven hours later, she's oh, basically Lord. bled to death internally. They didn't even come and check on her, you know? And so it's this, yeah, we gotta, we'll check on her, we'll check on her. You know, like, we'll send somebody else in, they'll have some in it. And then it's like time passes and it's the same thing that happened to Serena Williams. It's like, I'm telling you something is not right with my body, but you're not listening to me. Oh, you just had major surgery. Of course, you're going to be uncomfortable. But she's like, this isn't right. Something I've, this, I actually, this is my second child. So I know this isn't right. Um, the other one is um, I'm a member of a sorority. Um, so shout out to Delta Sigma Theta. Um, but, uh, and one of my Neos passed away. She had her daughter five days after me. Um, she had her daughter, she had a C-section and her daughter passed, or she passed away a month later. I guess she had gotten some type of infection after the C-section and her daughter no longer has a mom. Mm -hmm. And so when you hear these stories, it's like, but what went wrong? Why did that happen? Like, why are we dying? Like you have all these degrees and all these, you know, like you're in shape. You got the best insurance, you got all these degrees and, and black moms are still dying, even personal, like ones that I personally know. So that's really why I got into the work mm -hmm. um, that I do now with um, advocating for women to know their options and not only for knowing their options, but knowing that sometimes for black women, especially if you're low risk, the hospital might not be where you need to have your baby. You might not need a surgeon to, to deliver your baby if you're low risk, um, because surgeons 
look for problems and fix them. They're doctors, that's what they do. They're like, okay, you're here. If pregnancy is a problem, you know, which is your, you know, if, 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 if pregnancy is your medical condition, we wanna make sure your baby gets out as safe as possible. And so here's all the ways we know how to do that. But it's like, what if I just needed, a, you know, an extra day or two to let it happen naturally? But it's like, no, we need to induce you. You gotta do it. So I think that I going into having kids never would have thought to even work with a midwife because I just never knew about them. It was like, nope, I'm going to the hospital. I'm getting all of the drugs. They tell me, give me all the drugs. I'm getting all the drugs. That's what everybody told me. When I started telling people, no, I'm not, I'm not going to get the drugs. I'm going to have a natural childbirth. The community, my friends were like, unsupportive of that. It was, girl, you know, you don't get a cookie for that. Like you don't get a medal for pain. You're going to feel that pain. You're going to want that epidural. And I have really, you know, it's just this idea. It's just, we've been conditioned to think that we can't do what our bodies are naturally born like to do. We can't, we physically can't do it on our own. So we need doctors and we need drugs. So that so. whole, just thinking about how friends, our, our natural reaction is yes, get the drugs. Um, you know, I want to feel as least pain as possible, but that comes from not having what we're doing right now, providing very critical information so that people are made aware. They have awareness, they have knowledge, they can make better choices because of that. As the president of the board of directors at the Atlanta Birth Center, tell us about what that work means and how you're able to advocate in that role. So that's the thing that, you know, I think finding this place, mind you, I live in Atlanta. So you're like, oh, there's probably black people all around that do this work, right? There's tons, there's like, oh, I can get an OB, here's the, and I interview a lot. So I was in the process of moving from California and I started interviewing clinicians about like, what are their philosophies? How do they feel about natural childbirth? Do they like, do they allow doulas? Do they like doulas? There are physicians who don't want doulas around, doulas who are just there to purely advocate for me. Because it's like, no, because I don't want you filling her head with misinformation. I want to be able to work with them. So it's almost like conflicting. It's like, why would, if I'm the medical doctor, why would you have somebody who isn't a medical doctor telling you what you need in childbirth? And it's like, not necessarily that. There are bad doulas out there, just like how there's bad doctors out there. But at the end of the day, someone who's there that's familiar with childbirth when it's my first baby, who is 100% advocating for me and what I want versus what they think I need is beneficial. So when I started, when I, so my doula is the one who introduced me to the Atlanta Birth Center. It is a, okay, so a birth center is a freestanding birth clinic and service, right? So you've got hospitals and you've got, so say you have OB groups, they have their medical practice. You go to get your prenatal care. They have privileges in the hospital. They deliver your baby in the hospital. And then you stay in the hospital for a couple of days. Then you go on about your day. You go, you go back to the, you know, the OB in six weeks. They check you out to make sure everything's coming back together okay. And you go on your way, see them in a year. That's kind of how the OB model works. Um, so I first had to, my doula from California, Samsara, she's the one that's like, 
girl, you need to just have your baby at home. Cause she saw me have the first one. She's like, you were there, you had it all. The issue was the hospital. Oh, by the way, when I got to the hospital, they didn't have any rooms available. They were full. There was no room at the end. My son came on his due date at 12.35 and I get to the hospital, I'm nine and a half centimeters. It's 10 to push. I was like, the baby's on his way, he's here, you know? And I got there, there was no room at the end. And so <laughs> I ended up having my baby in an operating room on a stretcher because there was no room at the end. And she was like, you could have did this at home. Like you didn't need to be here all uncomfortable in a surgical suite where it was cold and sterile. And like, so you could have just did this at home. And I was like, no, I'm not ready for that. Um, but she's like, midwives will deliver your baby at home for you. But I was scared. I was like, something might happen. So when I was coming here, she had kind of planted that seed. I was like, I don't know about a home birth. That might not be for me. And then I realized after talking with my doula, she's like, well, there is this thing, it's, a, it's the birth center. And it is a freestanding, meaning it's not affiliated with a hospital. It's a group of midwives that have an, a place. It's, it's like almost like constructed, like it looks like, your, it looks like a house um, to have a birth that's similar to a home birth, meaning you're not in a hospital and you're in a very home-like environment, but it's not actually your home. So birth centers are run by clinicians. They have backup support. So you have a, there is a physician that's a medical director who like, if I need a C-section, I'll get a C-section, you know, they'll make sure, but they'll end up having to transfer me to the hospital. So it's an out of hospital experience. And if something goes wrong, the one that's in Atlanta is a five minute, they take you, they'll call the ambulance. They will take you, you'll be at the hospital where you're supposed to be in five minutes. So it's like, there is that time though. Some people are like, well, five minutes is not, is too, too much of a risk for me. If something goes wrong, I want people right there immediately. Um, I don't want to have to transfer. So there is a risk, right? There's some, and about 30 of our clients will then transfer to the hospital because of something. It may not be an emergent situation. It may just be like, hey, I've been in labor. This, we just need a little additional help. We need some Pitocin. So we transfer to the hospital. So this freestanding birth clinic, I was like, I don't know if, I feel, if I'm feeling that. I want to know what that is. And she's like, well, just go do the tour. There's a thing called Meet the Midwives where they come out and you can get a tour. I walked in there. I was like, oh, so you want me to have, this looks like a spa. Like it looks like a spa. <laughs> like they had the essential oil. You walk in, it's beautiful. They have, you go see these birthing suites. This is where you're going to have your baby. And it's beautifully decorated. And you think, go to a hospital and you think about how sterile and how how it feels. They got essential oils, they've got like lights up and they've got, you know, you can have your baby in the tub if you need to, do, if you wanna, if you wanna, you know, birth, if you wanna labor in a bathtub or in the shower, you can have your baby, you can just basically they're like, you have your baby, however your body needs to have your baby, you get to pick. And they have these beautifully decorated rooms that feel like, oh man, I need to step my game up at home. Like these are beautifully <laughs> appointed rooms and they give you the midwives give you like their every appointment is like 30 to 45 minutes where they're not like 15 minutes in and out and they have other services there like you can get acupuncture you could get massages there's mom and baby yoga prenatal yoga there's mom support groups led by therapists so there's like a whole like in this place it has all of these resources and things that are just there at your disposal and they have these beautiful rooms where you can have your baby i was like oh that's nice over here 
So I was really impressed with it. So going to my doctor's appointments felt like I was, like I said, like I was going to the spa. You know, I was just going in, it was beautiful rooms. You have these exam tables that are just like, this is beautiful. So I was taken aback. I was like definitely impressed with the aesthetic of the birth center, but the care that I received, the midwives, like I said, you just, I just got so much more personalized attention and time. And going into a hospital, I had to like have this birth plan basically write down for them. Here's all the preferences that I have so that when I'm in a moment where there's a, a decision to make, you know what my desires are. And I've, I've written it out for you. And at this place, it's basically like, you already like, we're all of the preferences. That's, that's our, that's baked into the policies here. Like here's exactly. So my birth plan in a hospital is like hair hospital. Here's all the things I need you to do. They're like, oh, those are all the things we do. And they're safer for the moms and they're research-based. So they're not something that they don't, they're not like, they used to call them crunchy granola kind of people. It's not like some kind of hippie thing. It's like, the research supports doulas. We want you to bring a doula. There are people who are like, nope, you can't have your doula here. So they want you to have a doula if you want one. They want you to birth in the best and safest way possible with, with what you want at the core of it. Where the hospital is like, no, we need to get your baby out as fast as possible, but as safe as possible. And what you want really shouldn't matter because we know what's best for you. So those are my two experiences. So joining the birth or having my daughter at the birth center really was like, wow, this is the birth that I wanted for my son. The low lights, the India Irie playlist, the essential oils burning. Like I wanted all of those things, but the hospital just couldn't give them to me. And so my second child I had at this birth center and it was perfect. Like, now that's not always the case now. Like, please believe Mike, there are complications that happen in childbirth. It's unpredictable. So my experience was stellar compared to the hospital experience, which was nothing of my fault. I got there, there was no room at the end. When I got to this place, there was one midwife there waiting for me at the door with the door open. Nobody else was there birthing. It was just me. I got to pick what room I wanted. The nurses were there ready. They had like, everybody was just there focused on me and making sure that I was okay and that my baby came Earthside like the healthiest and best way possible. Completely different experience. Now, birth centers are also there's not as many of them, right? It's not as, you know, there's there there's also paying for them. Not all of them have the ability to take all the insurances. So it's like this experience, but it's all that everybody should have, but everybody doesn't have access to it. And so my advocacy and what I've been doing for that birth center is like, how do we get more people to be able to have access to this? Because everybody should have that as an option. If you're low risk, now let me clear, low risk. Do not have your baby outside of hospital if you're high risk because you there's there are things that happen right but if you're just like a like me i had no issues in pregnancy there were no scares everything went fine i was low risk i had my baby and i went home and that was it and the thing is you know the six week visit they they come to your house the next day so so the difference is you know you don't stay overnight for three days like you do at the hospital they keep you for like after your baby's out you get to go home at around 12 hours eight to 12 hours, you go home. After they've monitored you, you get your rest. They, they basically send you home the next day or later on that day. And um, then they come to your house the next day to check on you. They'll send a nurse 
to check on you, to make sure you're okay, to check on your bleeding. And then um, after that, you come back in after a week. And then after that, you come back at six weeks and you have the ability to call a midwife that's on call the whole time. If you feel anything is not quite right, you get to do that anytime. Wow. Um, how can people who might want to support a birth center like the Atlanta Birth Center or a birth center near their area, how could they provide support to to a birth center? So, Ilks, that's a great question. Mm -hmm. um, so the issues with a lot of birth centers is, is is money, right? It's like, how do you stay open providing a service, particularly one that doctors are reimbursed higher, you know, the, you know, you get to you know, have a hospital birth, the insurance company is going to pay the hospital more because it requires a lot more. So if you have an uneventful pregnancy and you just go in and have your baby, like it's nothing, the interventions, the anesthesiology, or the, like, you know, you get your, all these, all these things start adding up. And so the, the insurance companies will pay the hospital $20,000, you know, for a baby that we would deliver for $6,000, but they're, they're not sending birth centers that money because they, you know, there's lots of reasons, right? So money is the biggest issue, I think, for access. It's like birth centers are not, from a legislative, legislative perspective, a lot of states are not, there's so many regulations to opening a birth center, it's cost prohibitive. It's like, there's three in the state of Georgia. Three. Three, that's it. One in Atlanta, one in Savannah, and then like one in, one in South Georgia, like a little bit further south. And so if you look at research, the birth center research, they have better outcomes, particularly in minority communities. You, you, know, you have a lower incidence of C-sections and complications. Um, I know with the birth center here, it's been open for five years and like there have been zero maternal deaths, zero. Like, you can't, I mean, it's like, but again, it's like low risk patients with low risk intervention, like with not, with very minimal interventions. If you go in there, like, I don't need the drugs because I can do this. Then when you get the drugs, your baby's heart won't be affected. Like your baby's heart, your baby's heart can be affected if you have these certain drugs, right? So you don't know that then your baby's in dirt. It's under, you know, um, you know, it's, it's an, it's all of a sudden an emergency. We gotta get the baby out to keep the baby alive. So now we have to cut you open. So it's like the little, the least amount of interventions you get, the more likely you are to be not in the surgery, which means you have more likelihood of an easier recovery and a safer recovery. So if you have, a, if you're, if first, if you are in or outside of the Atlanta area, the Atlanta Birth Center is a nonprofit. It's a charity. We offer services to um, women who can and cannot afford to pay for, to have a baby there. We also take Medicaid. Um, a lot of places do not, right? So if you are in your heart, <laughs> feeling like you wanna contribute to this place, the Atlanta Birth Center is a charity that you can you can uh, donate money to and we would then you know, give you a receipt for tax purposes, which I love, it's a 501c3. Um, many of the birth centers 
some it's, it's a mix. You have some that are privately owned, which is kind of just like a private business. And then you've got some that are nonprofits like the Atlanta Birth Center, which is one of the biggest birth centers. Um, we see, we deliver about 45 babies a month and we don't turn you away if you can't afford it. So if there is, if you find it in your heart and say, hey, you know what, there's an opportunity for me to donate money or resources or even time towards, you know, this place and creating a safe space for women to deliver their babies, atlantabirthcenter.org, you can deliver, you can donate money. Um, you can, we have also started, um, it is called the Black, oh, excuse me, the Birth Equity Task Force. And it is led by Black women, Black midwives, Black nurses, and um, students to advocate for moms of color, and particularly in Georgia, Black moms, and making sure that they have all of the information, childbirth education, all of the resources, lactation support to be able to deliver um, a healthy baby and have, if you can't afford a doula, we want to provide one for you. Like we want to give you all of those tools. And so with the birth equity task force, we also fundraise. So like it could be, you could just straight up pay for a woman's delivery if you have it in your heart to do that. Um, and we would make sure there's, the, so as the birth equity task force has been developed, it is really to support um, black moms in, in, in Atlanta, where we are, like I said, under attack. Like we're more likely, we have targets on our back. We're more likely to die delivering a baby here than anywhere else. So um, that is what, so, but, and if you, if you're not here, so, if you're say if you're listening from the Bay Area, there is a new birth center in Oakland or Berkeley. I think it's on Telegraph, and it's a, a fantastic midwife. Her name is Kiki. She's opened it. She um, delivered a baby for one of my friends, who's also my sore. Her name is Summer, and uh, she is brand new starting her birth center here in Oakland. So if you want to donate there, I'm sure she would be appreciative. It's, uh, I think her partner who opened with her, his name is Anjali. And the founder of the Atlanta Birth Center is also named Anjali, spelled differently. <laughs> but it's like, there's something about Anjali midwives that I think are really, it's really important. So those are two off the top of my head. There's one in DC that is also um, run by a, a woman and I'm losing her name right now. Um, I can, we can definitely share that. But yes, we will have all of these links in the chat. Um, and I will also be sure to um, mention them again at the outro. But yes, we definitely want to support these very critical places as we're bringing life into the world in a safe manner if you are low risk and i think that's something that you have definitely stressed to us that this is not an option for everyone but yes. the important thing is to have that conversation don't be afraid to get a second opinion and if you are low risk and after you've done your research if you can see where this will really be something that is right for you then a birth center is something that would be a very awesome option for you to have your child at. 
So yeah, we're definitely gonna mention each of those. For Kira, for moms, atlantabirthcenter.org, their birth equity task force, and um, Kiki's Birth Center in Berkeley. I gotta find the name of it. There's yeah, also a course. one, Choices in Memphis, if you're from Memphis. Choices is a name of one that is also run by an amazing black midwife who has really integrated like culture and and her whole care team. It's like it's there to serve and support black women. Um, and 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 I have to say, like we need these centers, particularly now when we have those targets. It's it's why is it that black women are dying at such a disproportionate rate? And so I think when we have spaces that have black women leading them and providing that care, we see better results for black women. That's so good. That's so, so good. If you so have critical. it in your heart, yeah, if you have it in your heart, there's lots of options. Atlanta Birth Center is my preference because it's no you know it's the one that I am working with and we have some amazing midwives at the Atlanta Birth Center Alexis Dunamore she is a professor at Emory and she's from Memphis but she is a phenomenal midwife and it's just that sister's bad she's my soror she is dope um <laughs> and Katie Brody she's from uh Southern California and she is the most kind and like when I tell you when you go through this experience being heard and having someone who genuinely cares about you it is a very different experience than the the feelings of I'm being an inconvenience to getting this doctor to their golf game like that's mm -hmm. the like that happens and so you want to make sure you're someplace where you as as a black woman or any woman of color is, is valued and heard because it could be life or death. Yes. So this is, whew, I got so many chills just listening to all of what you said today. This, um, the importance of this podcast is definitely taking people beyond self-love, you know, and this is something to take you there, something that you may not be aware of these options for you as a mom it's already so many different stories that people have on their journey to motherhood this is just something that as that journey is about to unfold a way to do something if you are low risk so i wanted to just thank you very 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 much for sharing this with us this very special week which again is this is a week of black maternal health week and also, I know you already know, it goes without saying that if y'all have another event, you're more than welcome to come on here. We'd love to hear more. We'd love to support any way that we can, the work that you're doing. And how can listeners get in touch with you or the center if they would like to further this conversation or possibly have you come speak or share information or your team? Um, yeah, come on. So my, uh, com my contact information is Melanie at yardstickmanagement.com. Y-A-R-D-S-T-I-C-K. Yep. Management.com. 
And you can find me at Melanie1206 on Instagram. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I can't thank you enough a million times over. This was a conversation that we have been planning since January. It's here. And um, I thank you so much, my Sarah Melanie, for being on here today and sharing these, this beautiful information with us. Thank you, everyone, for listening in to today's episode of Conversations with Coach Coy. Beyond self-love, change, restore, reclaim. Thank you.